0: Welcome to the Vinnie Rock Podcast. I took the blows and did it my way. It's time. The Vinny Rock
1: Podcast. The Vinny Rock Podcast would like to thank the following sponsors. Core Medical Group. Core Medical Group distinguishes itself as a prominent entity in the healthcare sector, specializing in offering innovative hormone replacement therapy solutions, which stand as a testament to their commitment to advancing healthcare. Core Medical Group values building enduring relationships and ensuring that each interaction is tailored to meet the specific needs of the professionals and institutions they serve. Learn more now at coremedicalgrp.com. GMR Gold. The Bullion Box by GMR Gold stands as the pioneering offering in the precious metals industry, being the first ever monthly subscription service for precious metals. It manifests as a seamless and innovative solution for those keen on diversifying their investment portfolios with precious metals, making the acquisition of gold, silver, platinum, and palladium uncomplicated and straightforward. To learn more and subscribe to Bullion Box, go to gmrgold.com, everest.com. Everest stands as the paramount independent outdoor marketplace founded by individuals with a relentless passion for the great outdoors. They are driven by a singular mission, to provision goods for every facet of the untamed and boundless wild, be it hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, survival, and more. So step up, immerse yourself in the diverse tapestry of outdoor life and let Everest be your guide to transcending the ordinary and embracing the extraordinary in the world outside at Everest.com. Modern Gun School. Modern Gun School provides a tailored learning experience allowing you to study on your terms whenever and wherever it's most convenient for you. Their flexible open enrollment policy means you can kickstart your education for a career as a modern gunsmith immediately. Modern Gun School proudly accepts the GI benefit and vocational rehab, emphasizing their commitment to supporting veterans and individuals undergoing vocational rehabilitation embark on a journey of discovery and skill enhancement with their accredited program and carve your niche in gunsmithing with modern gun school today to learn more and enroll go to mgs.edu stay classy meats stay classy meats is deeply rooted in a reverence for time-honored traditions and enduring values working hand in hand with farmers and ranchers who share a mutual respect for these principles stay classy meats is not just a brand It's a movement towards real food, a commitment to quality, and a journey to share a piece of Montana's unparalleled meat quality with the world. To place your order, visit stayclassymeats.com.
0: What's up? Welcome to the Vinny Rock Podcast. Uh, I have fought myself on doing these one-on-ones, like with myself, for a long time, but sometimes I feel like I just need some time to talk about what's going on in my life for y'all the listener. Uh, Obviously, we've been promoting the hell out of this book. Uh, It is about my time in the Border Patrol, and we'll go over a few things in the book today. I didn't highlight them. I'm going to kind of just skim through the book and hit a few topics that I think are pretty important and some things I want to talk about. Uh, Besides that, before I even get to that, don't forget my sponsors. You got Core Medical Group. Core Medical Group is a hormone hormone replacement therapy company. I've been using them for about six years now. Uh, on and off, depending on what's going on with my little medical conditions. Uh, But the company alone, I send a lot of guys to them. It is life-changing. It has saved a lot of lives. I promise you, if you're male and you have low T, uh, the things that can happen in that is just depression, anxiety, uh, lack of libido, uh, lack of energy. I mean, the list goes on and on and why this is one of the areas I focus on when when trying to help someone with a well-rounded lifestyle of finding happiness and mental health. Uh, One thing I do right away, I check their baseline, and and part of that is their blood work. And so I recommend all of you who are listening to this, hit up Core Medical Group. You can hit me directly. I'll send you to my dude. He'll take care of you. But get your blood work done. If you guys get sent through this podcast to them, your blood work will be free. Just let them know I sent you uh, through the Vinnie Rock podcast, okay? So please, guys, if you're curious about it, if you're 25 years, 26 years old and, and up, and you haven't got your blood work done or you haven't gotten it done in recent years, I recommend you highly, highly go get that checked. Uh, another one of my sponsors is Everest.com. They're an outdoors, uh, how do you say, uh, Slip my mind, but essentially they're an outdoors uh, website, anything you can think of outdoors. It's like a trading post. There you go. So a lot of companies that have different items that can be valuable to you from the outdoors, whether it be camping, hunting, fishing, uh, anything really outdoors. If you're an avid outdoorsman, I would go check them out. They're a nice little spot for you. can f- So you can find anything you really need. I have a box of stuff with that. I'm going to do a video about it later, but yes, Everest.com. And if you like this right here, this is something that came from, uh, my own mind that we had a phone call and they created this design for me. And it says, fix myself first. It's something that's very important in the mental health space of working with veterans and law enforcement officers. I always say we have to fix ourselves first before we can help others, which in the medical side, that is called self-aid then buddy aid. So Everest.com is an advocate of what I do and as well as I love what they do. And so you guys go check out Everest.com, GMR gold and boy box. Those are subscription. Boy box is subscription based, uh, precious metals. You guys can go check them out. There's different levels of that depending on what you can afford. What I find uh, important about GMR Gold and Boyon Box is being able to kind of put money to the side, save it, like have a monetary value. So I put 50 bucks into it. I get uh, my share of gold and silver, whatever it may be, precious coins, metals, and I can just put them away. I can collect them with my kids. They can enjoy it. It doesn't matter. But I put it away. And I know that my money's not going to waste. It's not fluctuating with the economy. It's kind of staying very, very uh, secure in that monetary value. Uh, and people say, oh, is it worth it? I think it's worth it. I find it to be worth it. And, uh, you know, I know I'm just making these small investments every month. And they can come out to be pretty significant uh, savings at one point. So you guys go check them out. I do love them. I love the company in itself. They've been good to me. And, and I continue to stay loyal to them. So GMR Gold and Boyan box. Go check them out. I do have two treasure chests of gold and silver. Uh, I need to hide. One of them in California. I'm waiting for my buddy to actually hide it. The other one's in my backpack. I've been traveling and telling us so I'm going to stop and put it down and hide it and create the, you know, the coordinates, but I haven't done it yet. So uh, I'll be down in the southern part of Texas. And so I'll have to do that. So be looking out for that. And... What other sponsors do I have? You guys already know Modern Gun School. I can't tell you guys enough about this company. I've had several of my good friends uh, use this and now own uh, gun armor businesses. They're fixing guns and they're selling guns and they're 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 building guns and they're fixing them and all that jazz. They used Modern Gun School. Modern Gun School is a online learning school. You can use your GI Bill. Okay. If you're sitting there doing nothing with your GI Bill, go use the damn thing, okay? Go hit up Modern Gun School, and you can learn how to be an armor in the comfort of your own home. I promise you, that company is well worth it. There's several several ones out there, but none, in my opinion, are as good as Modern Gun School. Go check them out, okay? Besides that, borderline... Look, I wrote this book, and I wrote this book because you know, I'm doing all these podcasts right now and I'm doing all these interviews and I kind of feel like I want to, I want to talk about it the way I want to talk about it because everyone kind of has their agenda on this topic. Um, you know, the extreme left is very open borders. The extreme right is very shut down all borders and screw immigration completely. And both of those are unrealistic. And both of those are emotional responses to the lack of information. And there's a few people that genuinely just want open borders. And then there's a few people that genuinely want (laughs) to just close all borders. And those are those outliers that, um, you know, I don't think they they think on the level of humanity and who we are as a country. And so today I'll kind of try and break down my thought process on this and why it kind of, the situation really sits in the middle of both of those arguments. Okay. So for those of you who... Uh, don't know. I was a border patrol agent from 2009 to 2015, and I resigned because my personal life was kind of getting a little wild. Uh, I started a business with some friends, and it blew up, and we started making a significant amount of money. Uh, enough that I was able to kind of match paychecks at one point, and it felt like I was getting pulled two different directions. Um, my time as a border patrol agent was incredible. I loved it. And if this opportunity hadn't presented itself in the business side, and for me to actually pivot and using that opportunity to pivot into something that I've been dreaming about, as in Hollywood, I never would have had the chance. So I'm forever indebted to those companies. You guys already know who they are. Article 15 Clothing, Ledsingers Whiskey, and eventually Range 15, so on and so forth. All those had paved the way for me to get to where I am today as an actor and writer in Hollywood. Okay. So as long as that is established now, we can continue on with this conversation. So my personal life, I was going through my second divorce. I was struggling with trying to be a better father to my kids and be more relevant in their lives. Um, I was very active and obviously afforded them a comfortable lifestyle, but that didn't mean I was there during the important times that they either needed me or I wanted to be there, i.e. sports, school accolades, so on and so forth. And so when the business side of things gave me a little bit more freedom to kind of walk away, uh, it was it was on my head, it was, it was on my mind so much so that I was kind of thinking, when's the right time to jump, right? Is this business thing going to continue to pay the bills? Because I know business can be up and down. And right now we were, at the time, we were facing a lot of ups. Everything was great. And I was going through a custody battle and I was fighting really hard to get, uh, you know, custodial rights of my kids. And so on top of that, the company that I was in, you know, the Article 15 clothing and everything was involved in drinking. And so I was getting heavier into drinking uh, just by chance of just being around friends for the first time in a long time that are kind of the veteran community. And so as you guys were kind of experiencing our videos... Um, with with Article 15 and enjoying those, uh, we were also, I believe, at least in from my perspective, we were enjoying our own company and kind of healing ourselves and going through this phase of transition. And so, you guys were watching me personally finally find a community of dudes who understood me and that I could kind of be myself around. Uh, up until that point, I hadn't really found that. I was just busy, really trying to trying to create a company. Or try, trying to be successful in, in in you know the civilian world through the border patrol, or when I was in the prison system uh, as a prison guard, and so on and so forth. So this was actually the first time I was being able I was able to like really hang out, bullshit, vent, and be myself around other veterans who were like minded. And so what you guys saw in those YouTube videos, if you ever saw them, um, was pure like real real camaraderie and joy. And I think that's what the attraction to those videos were. Um, and so I was getting pulled into two different ways. This this veteran kind of lifestyle, you know, and it would eventually kind of turn into like a bro vet world that I, I kind of fell out of love with for a little while. And so um, here we are. I was at the top of my career in the Border Patrol. I was doing awesome shit with the Border Patrol, but I was also struggling in my personal life more than most people ever knew. Most of my friends never even understood I was what I was struggling with. And so, going through my second divorce, uh, I knew that I wanted to... It was, it was beginning the path of that second divorce where I was like, I knew this was coming to an end. I knew I wasn't feeling the same way I was before. I knew that a lot of things were falling apart. Uh, and the relationship kind of had to end. We both kind of felt that way. So, when that was on the fence and the Border Patrol was getting busier for me being attached to Bortac, uh, and the business is doing really well. It was kind of, I wasn't wholehearted into that job anymore. And so I started, that's, you guys already know the story. If you guys ever seen real ones, you know, I was really excited about my daughter's birthday party. And, um, when I got activated during that time and then activated for, for the escape, the two escape convicts, I was kind of like, fuck man, I'm going to miss another one of her birthdays. And so, you know, uh, luck would have it, I had a chance to go home, and at that same time, you know, they got more intel on the mission, and they, they ended up pursuing one of the individuals and killing them, and that was the catalyst of me deciding to resign from the Border Patrol, so that's why I left, and I think I need to get to that first, so then you guys understand, uh, I didn't leave for any other reasons of not liking the career field, I actually absolutely love it, uh, I didn't leave because I got in trouble, no, I know I was getting in trouble here and there because I was drinking a ton, but... Uh, as for being a good medic on a tactical team, I did my job until I didn't, right? So it's crazy to go uh, as a Hispanic. Let's let's address this topic, you know. Uh, I'm Hispanic. I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican. My mother is Mexican. My father is Puerto Rican. Most of you guys probably know all this already, but I'm just going to reiterate it. But with if you've read the book, you'll know that my grandmother uh, came across uh And to become a legal citizen in a very unorthodox way and illegal. So, which makes the whole story even more interesting. And so, I won't spoil that fine detail for you. What I would say is that you guys should go read the book because it'll explain a lot more in detail. But growing up in Los Angeles, California, and being the fourth child, and I was was part of a twin set, me and my sister, uh, I, we are the last two of the family. We had, I had an older sister, uh, besides my twin sister who was older than me by two minutes, I have an older sister and an older brother. Uh, but my brother, uh, is five years older than me. I was born in 81. So my brother was born in 86, whatever that is, or 76, whatever that is. And, um, as my parents decided to try and teach him Spanish and English, he became a very late speaker. Uh, and that concerned them, that maybe they can't teach him both languages at once. Uh, we'll just stick with English because they're also in the phase of kind of assimilating to America, right? Becoming American, as in my mother's side more so because my father is Puerto Rican, so he doesn't have that same, uh, you know, they're they're a U.S. territory. And so he's a citizen by. birth. His mother was a citizen by birth in Puerto Rico. My father was born in uh, the Bronx, New York. So it's not so much my father, but my mother, uh, you know, and wanting the kids to assimilate to to other kids around them who speak a lot of English, you know. And so they taught us English. They spoke to themselves in Spanish. And, you know, as I found myself in high school, I really didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know this was uh, something that I would deal with in my life because... I mean, when you grew up in LA, everyone once spoke English, but as well as there was every race and culture you can think of Asian, black, Hispanic, white, uh, and it was just the melting pot. And so I didn't see race as much as I think other people do in other States who are kind of alienated from that diversity. Right. And so, uh, it was very different in my world because we didn't see race like everyone else did. I think race became a thing later on for us. It wasn't, It wasn't this thing that everyone focused on like they do today. So in our world, my friends were my friends. Black, white, Asian, didn't matter. They're my friends. But when I found myself in the Hispanic circle uh, and I didn't speak Spanish, I was called the white boy or whitewashed or coconut. Brown on the outside, white on the inside, which I found very interesting. Uh, And then when I was with my white friends, uh, playing baseball. You know, most of my friends in baseball were white for the for the earlier part of my baseball career. Um, I was the beaner, the Mexican, you know, every other derogatory term you can say. And when I say it's not racist, it wasn't, it was just the, the we made fun of each other for our distinct differences and it wasn't a blatant disrespect. It was more so how we communicated. It was a joke. Uh, no one took offense. Uh, these days, you, you couldn't get away with that kind of stuff. But, So to understand, in one group of people, I was not Mexican enough. And in the other group of people, I was too Mexican. And so uh, I didn't let it affect me too much, but it was in the back of my mind. It was a very curious, like, huh, odd. Let me pause right here. I want to make sure that the camera is still recording. There you have it. As I grew up, I didn't speak much Spanish at all. The only Spanish I spoke was able to order food. Uh, and you know, your basics around the house, you know, nothing crazy, you know, my parents spoke Spanish to each other. So, uh, you know, I didn't know sandals was a word. I knew just chanclas, right. Um, there were just certain things that we just, it was just common. My mom for a long time still had the accent where she would say share and not chair, you know, uh, and things like that. But, you know, as I think she continued to speak more English and the languages change in our household to my parents speaking English to each other. Um, I think we were kind of fully assimilated into being, you know, this is just who we are. So fast forward, when I was in the military, um, I was in a squad room and in the book, I talk about this, we were all talking about what our jobs are going to be when we get out. Uh, I, my father's a career firefighter, uh, as far as I can remember, you know, when I was four, he got the job as a firefighter, but he would come home smelling like smoke and I, and I was fascinated by it and I thought it was so fucking awesome and I thought it was so tough. And so when he'd come home, I'd run to him always to try and hug him and hopefully get a whiff of that like fucking smoke. Cause he just came out of a house fire, like Just hours prior, right? It's super dope. Um, and I wanted to pursue firefighting just like him. I wanted to be a lot like my father. Uh, baseball wasn't a thing anymore, so next best thing for me was going to be, be a firefighter. So we're in that squad room and I remember everyone's kind of talking and Sergeant Brim saying what he wants to do after uh, a couple of the soldiers in there, other, other privates, other Rangers, you know, we're all in there uh, talking and, you know, I said a uh, firefighter or a smoke jumper because I, I kind of thought like it'd be cool to blend the two worlds of jumping out of airplanes and, um, and firefighting. And so maybe jumping into the middle of a fire and fighting, it sounds fucking dope as fuck. And that was kind of the thought in my head, like, maybe I'd do that. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, And Sergeant Barraza, uh, he mentioned Border Patrol. And uh, up until this point, the only thing I remember from Border Patrol is driving to, you know, Rosarito or Ensenada with my mom and dad. And my dad would do these 50-mile bike rides. And so we'd go about twice a year for a long time. While my dad did these rides, we'd just hang out in the cities, have good food, hang out, go to the beach, throw firecrackers, you know, the, the whole thing. And on um, the way back, you would get to see, you know, people waiting up at the fence and just kind of piled up. And, and my lack of understanding any of that was just like, what the hell's that? You know, my dad's like, oh, they're going to try and make a run for it, uh, you know, when it gets dark, most likely. And the only way I could re- reference that and really put any kind of context to that was the movie Coming to America. Yeah, I think it was Coming to America or... No, Born in the East L.A. is what it is with Cheech Marin. And born in the East L.A. Yeah. And... So I I don't remember the whole thing. I just know there was a, he was trying to come across and I remember the border patrol trucks trying to stop him. And so, um, that was my like only thought of what a border patrol agent was. Didn't know any better. And so when he mentioned border patrol, I was kind of blown, like blown away by it because I was like, bro, you're Mexican. I don't understand why you would do that job. And pure, pure blatant ignorance on my part. I just didn't understand. I didn't understand the job. I didn't understand the border. I didn't understand, like, America has an immigration policy. I didn't know any of that. I was so ignorant to that. And so my ignorant response in my own head was like, that's fucking weird. Uh, as he as he started to talk more about it, he started explaining about the special operations of the Border Patrol and the the, f- the federal funding, and pretty much you can do the same thing we do over here uh, in country, what we were doing in Afghanistan and Iraq, which was, you know, uh, kill or, or, or you know, capture terrorist threats. Um, the Border Patrol was doing the same uh, in country, but not so much diff- with a different ROE, right, rules of engagement. And so... Uh, yeah, man. I found that absolutely fucking dope, but uh, the fire department thing was still on my mind, heavy, and the Border Patrol, I, I researched the test and it sounded pretty challenging. And so, I remember what's not in the book is that I applied for that test before getting out of the military. I had a test date in Washington because I was stationed in Fort Lewis. And I decided not to go to it. Just so many things. Packing. and I was trying to get one of my soldiers out of he One of my soldiers, he went AWOL, and so I was trying to Save his fucking career by trying to get him to come back, and so I focused so many on other things that I, I missed the test date, and I asked him for a retest date, and uh, they said, "Yeah, just call us when you're ready." So eventually, um, I got a job at the prison. I got a job at a place called Synthos First, which was like medical sales or some shit. But it, I only did it for like 30 days. It was, it was uh, good people at the place, but the job wasn't what I wanted to do either way. It was just something to put money in the bank while well, I try to manage, you know, getting out of the military as an E5, you know, B.I.H. and all that stuff, and then realizing that. Holy shit! I need to make some decent amount of money to kind of match that, and so um, I decided to get into the prison system as a pri- private in a private prison because it was the fastest hiring process at the time that paid twenty three dollars an hour at the time I believe it was, which is pretty good at the time for for just coming out of the military and finding something. Um, And at the same time, I went to school full-time for fire science. And so I was taking shit at one point. I was taking something like, I think it was like 23 hours because I took a full EMT class and full fire 1 and 2 class at the same time. I piled them up. And then in between those, I did uh, fire, uh, let's see, extrication class, I think it was. It was like pretty much using jaws of life and stuff. I did a fire, a wildland fire course. Certification. I did a uh, fitness for firefighters course for the CPAT test. Uh, I did a long list of just fire science courses working on towards a fire science degree uh, and my EMT. <clears throat> I did my Fire One and Two, my EMT, and then all those other little courses. And so, like, my goal was like just get fully certified as a firefighter and then, boom, go get a job. Um, as I finished the Fire One and Two and I finished the EMT, I never passed the National Registry at the time, so I was kind of struggling getting hired. And uh, Working at the prison system, I was like, "This sucks. Start doing something different fast." And so I started like really hustling and trying to see what the fuck I'm gonna do. So at the same time, I was waiting to all these certifications for the fire department to go through to to, to finish them and then to to test for them. Um, I ended up, um, I ended up getting onto a small uh, private prison. Uh, excuse me, a private fire department called. I know it's in Coolidge. Oh, I think they're called regional fire. Um, and then as well as I applied back for the border patrol. So as I'm fighting a couple fires, uh one we we got to it in a fully engulfed house, and so we never even got to go into the house. I just watched it burn and we just kind of protected the other houses around it. I did a couple B calls, did a couple freaking transport calls, and then boom, we have another fire and it's on the I think it's the eight freeway or the ten. I think it was the ten. Uh, and we headed over there as fast as we could, pretty much in between Casa Grande and Coolidge. And we were first there. We pulled up. I get lead on the hose. It's is my first time. And I'm just sitting there and the guy's behind me. is just like, hey, just start spraying everywhere. I'm start spraying it. And I'm in the middle of this thing and it's hot as fuck. And I'm sitting there thinking like, fuck, I thought this would be a lot cooler. Yeah. So I fought that fire. We stopped the fire, right? The The, the bus wasn't completely destroyed, it was pretty bad, but not destroyed, it was a group called Kenna, which I googled them after that, and they did exist, they were on MTV at one point, and that's it, uh, and then I ended up telling the chief right there, I said, hey, uh, this isn't for me, and I turned in my stuff that day, and I never returned, I gave him my pager, I gave him my my jumpsuit, my gear, uh, and I fucking went home. <laughs> and uh I knew that I was still missing carrying a gun. Uh, I knew I missed like I had all this training from the military and I didn't want to just let it go. So in my heart at that time, I just was ready to keep serving in in a different way, in a law enforcement capacity. And so I uh I applied for the Border Patrol. The funny thing is I I I landed I I tested for Mesa fire department for I think Chandler, not Chandler, Casa Grande fire department. I think it was Casa Grande and I know Mesa. No, I think it was Mesa Gilbert and then, um, Tucson. I did Mesa's. I, 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 don't know if I ever heard back from them after the written test. I did Gilbert's, did the written test, did the oral test, didn't get, didn't get hired on the same written test in Gilbert was the same written test in Tucson. So I did that. I did really well in that test. And then I passed the oral exam, and I had number one on the PT. And so out of I think it was however many candidates they had, and they were supposed to be bringing up Tucson twenty people. I still have the email. I was the number one candidate out of twenty out of the the twenty hires potentially. So um, my scores were through the roof. PT, uh, you know, I had a I had a stupid high Cpat Cpat test. Cpat test. I don't even know it's called that anymore. Whatever it's called, Cpat. That's the fucking machine people breathe out of. I don't know. Either way, whatever that fucking physical fitness test is for the for the. For the fire department, I had the number one test on that. I broke record at the school that one time, too. Just, I don't know, no big deal, whatever. <laughs> at the time, I was in really good shape. Either way. Um, and so, all that was happening, and then they go on a hiring freeze. And eventually, the hiring freeze lasted over a year, which I had to go test all over again. by. So, that was fucking frustrating. I applied for the sheriff's department in Pinal County, and I got the job, but I missed the call for my academy date. And that was frustrating. I asked them, how long do I have to wait again? Uh, and they said, well, we'll wait for the next hiring. We'll put you into the next hiring. I was like, okay. And then I finally got the call for the Border Patrol. And I I failed the Border Patrol's first test. Had to wait three months. As I went to go reapply for it, they said they changed, they revised their scoring. And uh, my scores now count. And continue in the hiring process. I did the oral exam that passed that. And then so on and so forth. And it kind of kept going. I took off to Ranger, uh, excuse me, I took off to... To drill sergeant school during that time frame, so I had to stop the hiring process because I needed to do the I needed to do the physical and the background. And so once I graduated from drill sergeant school, boom, I already then I got those knocked out and went back into the hiring process, and, and then eventually got the call. So that's kind of like the 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 path to it. Um, as I got there, it was dope as fuck. You guys can read the book. Talk about the the, the academy, and it was cool. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll jump to is during FTO. I uh, had a little bit of challenges there. You guys can read the book on that. But I guess the most the most important thing in this whole topic of conversation uh, is that the first time I apprehended um, illegal immigrants, migrants attempting to come into the country illegally, um, was. A woman, a man, and a child. And that was probably the first time I was like hit with, damn, I kind of feel bad. These uh, people are wanting to come into our country because they're seeking refuge where they want better opportunity. And this is no different than my own grandmother. And so um, I've kind of always been a person with empathy. I remember going to Afghanistan uh, in two thousand. For and cracking a chem light and watching these kids like eyes glow just like what the fuck did kind of magic did you just do and uh I don't know that stuck with me it stuck with me to to see these kids who you know have way less than we ever had and um they still they're happy right they're comfortable and you know we're out there looking for bad dudes And you crack a chem light and they're terrified because they have no real understanding of what, you know, it's out there in the world outside of their little world. And we've just kind of disrupted that. And for 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 reasons we believe are right, whatever you want to question. But, you know, we had the intel that their father was, you know, involved in bad shit. And we were going there to 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 collect them up, to grab the more intel and continue to kind of knock down that terrorist organization. But it doesn't. It doesn't pass me uh, to know that we are in their world and we it's I, I'm empathetic towards it all. So that's the position I took. I was like, oh shit. So then these these illegals come across and we apprehend them and watching how hard they work to try and get there and, and how scared they were and everything. It was like, fuck, this is a wild ass job. Like there is it's not a black and white job, what people think, right? And there's so much more. Right. And so that's just that part. And so that was a, that was interesting for me. I think I've, I continue to always, I, I lean on the side of really giving a fuck about making sure that they're safe. If I'm going to apprehend them, I'm going to make sure that they're safe. I'm going to make sure that they, they get the water they need or the the food if they need it, uh, get to the station safely. Uh, transporting women, you have to do all the right things so that, so that, you know, you know that they're safe. It's, it's the whole thing about it. it's, they're in, they're, we're safeguarding safeguarding human life. They're in our possession now. And at that point, they are they're our responsibility. And when I say this, I am not the only one who feels like this. 99% of us who do the job have an empathetic view towards it. I'm sure there's outliers out there who don't. I'm sure there's outliers out there, like in every company, in every job, and every fucking organization, there's these certain people that uh, don't see the world like we do. Like humans, and so uh, that that's a thing, and I'm not going to deny that it's not a thing. But for the most part, all of us, we want to do our jobs. We want to we want to get our paycheck to take care of our families. And when you're doing this job, it's a very delicate, it's a very complex job, and we have to manage it. Every situation is dictated by the situation, and so there is no preset SOP that is across the board exactly the same. Every situation dictates different different actions. And so understanding that is just like any kind of law enforcement job where when you pull over a car, it can be the, the worst day ever. And it could be the easiest, enga- uh, you know, engagement. So same as us. Okay. And so fast forward, the first time I caught dope and, you know, we, you guys can read about in the book. The first time I personally, me and my, my, my partner caught dope was a pretty kind of a hairy situation. And that goes to show you that that same exact job now has to wear a different hat, where your your rules of engagement have now changed. Your threat levels are through the roof, and you potentially might have to engage on someone. Yeah, that's where it goes from one day to the next. All right, and then it gets even deeper. Then you got human trafficking, right? Then you have the cartel, right? Then you have policy, right? Then you have the humanitarian mission that happens daily. And so, like, to try and explain to people and try and defuse the argument of immigration and actually bring more people together and understanding and having a conversation about it, this is why I wrote the book. You can't be so emotional about something you know very little about. If you know headline news information about this, That's not enough. If you only know what the media is giving you, you don't know anything. Okay? If you say to me, oh, I have a friend that lives on the border and he says, no. He's giving you his point of view from it. And that itself is sometimes still uh, an exaggeration of some kind of truth. And so it's a very weird, complex space. and. If you read the book, okay, you will better understand it. But still, I would I would encourage you if you really want to sit here and argue this on social media, if you really want to be someone who stands and says rah 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 immigration this and that, I would still tell you like you don't know shit unless you've gone and lived it. Then, if you've lived it and you've seen all the lives involved in it, you can make a very very uh, educated determination on man. This is a fucking tough space to conquer. And so, like, I get a lot of people in my interviews, like, they'd say this. They'd say, how would you fix it? And I think it's a very easy question to ask someone who deems himself the subject matter expert of Border Patrol. But I don't deem myself the subject matter expert of immigration. I understand the Border Patrol career field. The immigration stuff, uh, I probably know more than most, but um, it's 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 a lot deeper than that. It comes down to we are facing policies that make the job challenging. And those policies go up the food chain higher than anyone in the Border Patrol itself. And those policies are put into to play because of who and how we vote, right? And I'm not saying vote left, right, nothing. Not, you, if you want to have that argument, right, people won't be like, rah, rah. well, here's the argument. Uh, President Obama had a pretty strict policy. He had a pretty strict policy. He, he was He was pretty hard on immigration. whether you like to admit that or not, he was. And so was Trump. And so there's still a lot of things that have to be addressed, right? We, there's, there's, you know, when people say, how would you fix it? I'm like, well, there's no one plus one answer. It's not like this fucking aha, here you go. That's done, right? I wouldn't be fucking sitting here. I'd be fucking sitting there making millions and millions because I have the answer to fucking a fucked up immigration system, right? I don't. I have uh, ideas, like a lot of us do, and I might have a little bit more thought-out ideas since I kind of live in the space of this. Um, I've said it in, in a blog I wrote that this is a seven-layer cake of, of answers. This is the recipe of a cake, and if you put too much or too little, you fuck up the whole thing. And I think that's what we've had for a long time is layers of an immigration, uh, immigration policy that gets ignored uh, and I think we scrape off the top the, the frosting and put new frosting and think it's beautiful again. And it's not. Uh, currently, we have a system that people call an open border, but it's not necessarily an open border. It's kind of an open policy. When you say open border, you're, you're contradicting and you're, you're essentially saying that the border is open as if the Border Patrol agents are not doing their job. That's false. The Border Patrol agents are still apprehending Every individual they can, they're still doing their best to find, stop, and 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 mitigate as much uh, illegal crossing that could possibly happen. They still have all the technology that they have currently, you know. Uh, there's still a lot of things that are happening. The problem is the policy and after apprehension. So the Border Patrol's job, you should read the, book, the fucking book, but the Border Patrol's job is to apprehend individuals who are crossing outside of a port of entry. Port of entry, you can enter and exit legally as long as you have the right paper paperwork or documentation, right? And you could also go there and say, "Hey, I'm seeking asylum." You could also go there and say, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm afraid for my life," and you know. And they can make a determination of your case, and they can they can do whatever they want at that point. Right? That's the customs agents; they deal with that. The border patrol deals with everything outside of a port of entry, and that means anyone crossing any kind of part of the river or the desert or whatever, trying to get into America to abscond or to escape uh, being captured uh, as well as to, to, to circumvent our, our system. Right. So the border patrols job is to try and stop that. Okay, at the same time, when you have that, those are the same people who do that, is people who are just trying to come over here and seek opportunity and probably don't know the right way or been manipulated by a trafficking organization to do it the wrong way or been told by family family members this is the easiest way to do it, right? So that it's just kind of like passed down information. Um, then you also have drug traffickers who happen to use those same kind of ways, right? Because they're not going to do it through the POE as much as they, they do, but there's other ways. So they kind of like power of numbers. Throw 20 cars across, see what happens, right? And so they just push a lot of dope through many different ways, from tunnels to just body tra- body carriers to vehicles, so on and so forth. Then you have human trafficking. Human trafficking is a very complex one because it's hard to really identify at times. Um, the big argument with like separating kids from their parents, yeah, but there also has to be an investigative situation that happens to identify if those really are their parents. But, again, uh, it's so complex and so difficult to explain that to people that are not ready to hear it. The truth, there's a lot of shit that goes down, and we're trying to figure that out as we go. And certain policies in place help, and some some certain policies in place don't help, okay? So a border trade's job is to try and apprehend all of that, 2,000 miles of border. And they're trying to do it in a way that they can get as many as possible, okay? And so you're not going to get them all. It's just the reality of it. We're not going to get every single one, but they do their best, After apprehension, the Border Patrol processes these individuals. They get their biographical information or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, I think that is it. So you get your eye, you get your uh, you know, you get your f- face picture taken, right? And you get your fingerprints ran. Uh, we identify the country of origin. We we identify, you know, the first name, last name. We hopefully they have identification on them. We we can validate it. And then from there, you know, if they have any criminal record before that, like if they've come to America before and got in fucking trouble and then try to do it again, and we have it based on their fingerprints, we send them back. Absolutely, there's no no doubt in our minds. Those they go fucking back. Okay, but it's everyone else who doesn't have a criminal record. Everyone else who just kind of flies by, and just because they may be murdered, or raped, and whoever they overseas, uh, and it doesn't show up on our thing, we, we can't determine that. And so those people still get the pass. Um, foreign countries, they get a pass. Uh, all those people who are seeking asylum from all these different different countries, they still get the the, the notice to appear currently in our current system. Currently, currently, right now. They get processed, and the Border Patrol hands them off to ICE with the package that they determined is their situation. So they say, hey, I'm here, I'm seeking asylum. You look at them, you're like... All right, you're Chinese, you're African, you're you're, you're from Middle Eastern. Okay, you're from El Salvador, you're from this, this, this. Whatever it is, there's a list that says these countries can seek asylum because of the current situation. Whoever's on that list that comes to America illegally still gets the opportunity to get determined whether they are seeking asylum through an immigration judge at a later date. Currently, that later date could be five to ten years. What? That's fucking weird, right? So then they get released. How many people come back? how many people actually come back to that later date 3% currently right now is the number okay 3% actually come back to that later date for the seek asylum so what happens they get released into america and they start to live here and then they might potentially get a job they might get someone to sponsor them they might have a baby they might they might they might get married right and they might become citizens through other ways right the leap, the loophole of our system currently is that that they can get into the country and then they can find a way to become citizens in their own way, based on our immigration policy that is already present to us, right? So, where are we at? Okay, 40 minutes. Battery. Battery's looking a little shady. Okay, battery on that. We're doing all right. So, this is what we have. It's 9.52. I gotta get out of here in about one hour. Okay. Boom, boom. Good. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. You got 20 more minutes. And so, the argument goes: it's it's an open border. It's not. It's an open policy. Sorry, it's currently open policy. What was the policy before? Okay, when I was in in two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen uh, in the state of Texas and Del Rio sector specifically, all the way up to I believe Comstock or maybe Lordsburg. I don't know. It was just the, the gap of Texas at one point was doing Operation Streamline. This was during the Obama era. That's why I was saying like proof in the pudding. He had pretty strict policy at the time. Um, and so what happened is anyone who entered the country illegally was put into jail, whether it be 30 days, six days, um, six months to a year, depending on how many times they've attempted. The first time you attempt 30 days, second time goes more, I think it's six months, third time you're going a fucking year. That was that set of precedents to say, fuck that, you can't come here illegally, you're going to go to jail. That slowed down the traffic significantly. We wouldn't have a massive influx of immigration. You would have uh, maybe 15 bodies one day or whatever it was, Right. Uh, but it wasn't what you have today. It wasn't the thousands. It wasn't the fucking f- fucking 9,000 that come in one day and just walk right up to you. No, these were these small pockets of individuals who were genuinely trying to get away and they were running from us and we were chasing them down. All right, We were tracking people for fucking 20 miles at times. Okay, Th- That's a different era of immigration. They didn't want to get caught because they wanted to just sneak into the country, literally, because they knew if they got caught, they were going to jail. Currently... It's not the same. You might have a few outliers out there that are just running because they have a criminal record. They know they're going to get caught if they get, if they get caught. We're going to roll the fingers and identify that. The rest of them are walking right up to agents and saying, "I'm here," and the agent has to process that. And those ones who are walking up, they know the system. They understand the system. They can circumvent the system by understanding the loopholes in the system by seeking asylum. It's not our job as border agents to identify whether it's legit or not. We just hand it off to the next person to do that job because that's not ours. Okay. So that's what we have right now is for some reason, um, currently the system is a little, little odd <laughs> to say the least. Um, and that's the truth. It's, it's a very weird time to see, and I don't understand why, uh, it's happening. People, you know, people have their theories uh, voting and this and that, blah blah blah. I don't, I don't know, and I'm not gonna jump on the board with any of that because I feel like it's, I don't know, if it's just rhetoric or if it's real, who knows? But I, I can't tell you what it is. But if you want to assume that, go for it. Um, we can't, we can't sit in a society and think that we should close borders and never let illegal immigration, or excuse me, let legal immigration come through. I think we, we have to have a country that continues to uphold that because we're a country that has dignity and boundaries and morals. And in that country, uh, in that, in that same sense, we have to protect our country with Homeland security policy. Right. And so there's a balance that meets in the middle somewhere. Um, and currently our dials turned way too fucking far to this open policy, right. Where people can come into the country uh, through the loophole system. And so that is causing a lot of issues. Okay. And what comes with that issue is the fear of these, Potential threats that come into our come into our country daily, right? And so, yeah, there should be a a, a thought of like, "Fuck, this is kind of a weird time that we're allowing so many people to come into the country," and we know, even if it's just one percent of the eight million that has been uh, identified coming into this country illegally, um, one percent is a fucking massive number, and so I would be. I would want you to understand. Do I feel scared? No, I feel I need to be more prepared, and I think you should too. Um, I feel like now more than ever, this is gonna—we're gonna reap the repercussions of this in the next five years or so, if not sooner. Uh, I think things are gonna change significantly. Whoever gets in office, I think they whoever it is—I don't—I don't know <laughs> if Biden's gonna win. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to make a prediction of that. I said, I think it's going to be one of the biggest topics that we have to face, uh, in our, in our lifetime. That's getting to a point where, where it is really fucking starting to affect America. Um, I have no problems with legal immigration. I think we, we should be taking in people who, who want to, want to invest into this country. I actually love the immigrant mentality that comes here and loves this country and supports this country and wants to invest back into this country. I love that mindset because I think that's what we need. We currently have Americans in our own country that really don't like America, right? And they want to talk against America, which uh, I think is, is funny to sit on a position of, of privilege and make those comments. Um, And as well as, it is what's hurting the, the cultural identity of our country, which is very scary. We kind of have to make sure that we always protect what America stands for and not the, not the ignorant ideologies of like the, the flag is racist. That, that's, that's just someone's weird thoughts. Um, but what a, the flag actually represents uh, in my head, or at least I believe it represents freedom for all. And in, and, and that is, that's for everyone. Right. And so, um, I do believe in this country still, and I do believe one of the most important career fields currently right now that is trying to uphold that same standard is the border patrol. And I found it very unfair for the media to kind of give the negative portrayal of the border patrol and for so many to jump on board with that and to assume they know and to take fucking headlines and run with them as facts uh, is very ignorant and it's sad. And sad that we have uh, people in this country who really only see the service level of things and don't really dig into, into the topics and learn more and put themselves boots on ground into the topic before they make any kind of assumption or gesture online. Uh, you look stupid and you look ignorant, and I'm sorry. It's just the truth. And that's with every topic. If you sit there and just regurgitate news headlines as facts— Um, you should go to the experts in the field and learn from them and see what they're saying. And then you should take it upon yourself to do, to dig deeper. If you choose to try and be a voice online or else you're just continuing to hurt, uh, the conversation and perpetuate bullshit narratives. And I can't stand that. So that's why I wrote the fucking book. So you guys go read the book, man. Um, it's not political. It is just as objective as I could be about the Border Patrol career field and what is done daily. The Border Patrol saves more lives and stops more drugs than any other organization in our nation. Facts. That is all. Facts. Okay. The Border Patrol is the biggest humanitarian mission that happens daily. The thought of, like, oh, these border chains are destroying these caches, that's a very questionable position to stand on if you create caches for illegal immigration, okay? Oh, we want them to save lives. Well, really, we should be addressing who's manipulating them to come across illegally. And I know they're trying to circumvent the system, so the fear is that some of these caches are actually poisoned by other people who don't want them to. So there's dangers in both sides of the argument here. And so, I know them all, and I know people want to try and challenge me on this, but um, a lot of these people have angers towards the immigration side of things, but they're not understanding the full depth of what it is. If you want to be angry with anyone when it comes to immigration, anyone, it's the high up, right? It's going to be who, who creates policy, and it's going to be the down low, the cartel, or human trafficking organizations. Because both of those things, both of those are what's causing the massive influx of drugs, of death, of rape, of trafficking, kids, human trafficking. And then the other side, who's continuing to allow this open policy that really affects America deeply? Yeah. So that's my fucking TED talk for the day, motherfuckers. (laughs) Hey, go buy the book. New York's not best author or not. I don't give a fuck. I wrote something that has meaning and purpose. And I hope you guys read it because it's important for you to understand what's going on. And once this one's done and all the hype, I got another one coming for your ass. It's more serious.